Guys, thanks for being here this morning. We don't take it lightly that you got up out of your bed this morning, took some time out of your weekend to come hang out with us here at Hope City. Some of you are sitting on a little communication card. We value those because we need to know what's going on in your life, and that's the best way to communicate with us. So if you just take some time, probably the next 30 minutes or so, probably going to be a little boring, you know what I'm saying, because I'm going to be talking. But uh, just take some time over the next few minutes and just fill that card out. And as the end of the service wraps up, we're going to have some uh, buckets that are going to pass. And man, feel free to drop that information in there. If you're a guest with us, we thank you for being here today. Um, Here's where we're going this morning, what God's sort of doing with me and in my life. And I just share from the overflow of sort of what God's allowed me to experience. And, And so what I've been understanding here in the church world for about two years now is that we've not had everything figured out. Like, we've gotten a little bit away from what God's wanting to do in our life and what the Scripture says and what Jesus modeled for us. And what we've done as really, man, a church is we've started to understand that there's this battle raging. And there's this battle that we've joined in with, and, and it's a battle amongst our flesh. And I know that's sort of a churchy word when you talk about the flesh, but let me just tell you what that is. There's a battle that's raging amongst ourself. Like some of you, well, maybe none of you did this past week sinned. Um, but when we sin, we like, we know what God wants for us, that there's something great. And we just know because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and, and we know that this is what we ought to do. But because the battle is raging amongst ourself, we, we choose what to do what we want to do. You know what I'm saying? And that's the battle that's raging. And it's raging probably all across this room here today. And what's happened because we've given in to ourself, man, we've started to believe a lie. Like we believe this great big lie. And so today what we're going to do is if you have a Bible, we're going to turn into Mark chapter 22. Actually, Luke. Let's go to Luke 22. We're going to go to Luke 22. We're going to look at like Jesus' last days. So it's Easter time. Does anybody know that? Like in the church today, it's Palm Sunday, where that you wave these sticks around, or that's what my seven-year-old said he did the other day in church. He waved sticks around, and it's Palm Sunday, but it's the week preparing us for basically the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're here in this Palm Sunday week, and and we celebrate all kinds of different things for Palm Sunday. And preachers like myself, they stand on stage and they preach about, well, they could preach on Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it's his his coming to the city basically to die. And people are going to be talking about his entry into the city. Some people today, they put the focus on the Last Supper where Jesus had this last meal with his closest friends and, and then some guys are going to stand up here and probably talk about Jesus. This is when he uh, sweat drops of blood in the garden. You've heard that before? Some of us? Yeah. Well, those are the important things of this Palm Sunday, this week leading up to Easter. But here in Luke 22, where we're going to look today, I think Jesus says something so profound. And I think, I know I have. I've been looking over and skipping it because of all of those other pretty highlight-ish kind of events. And we've missed something that's very important to us. And it goes along with the fact that we've bought into this lie. 
And this lie has told us that we as individuals, are, our worth and who we are is determined by our rank. And I know and I love the fact that here at Hope City we have all kinds of generations, we have all kinds of people represented. And you see, the lie, because of this battle that's raging for our flesh, the lie has said, you're only valuable if you have this. For our younger generation, let me just speak to our younger generations here for just a second. Listen, throughout this school, you guys are said, you're only valuable if you have this person as your boyfriend or girlfriend. In this school, by the clothes that you wear, You are ranked. Even in this school, the car that you drive, and listen, some of you younger students, we still struggle with that too. Like, I have a hard time sometimes getting in my minivan and driving around town. I just do. I struggle with it. Because the flesh is raging in this battle, and I've listened to this lie, and I'm trying not to listen to it, but listen, the Bosox minivan with the scratches down it isn't cool, okay? I just know it. But here's the deal. You're ranked, and we've bought into the lie, students. And oh, adults, listen, we, we've bought into the lie too because we work really hard to get into a little bit different school zone and zip code, don't we? We work really hard because we do want to drive that Porsche, right? I know I'm not the only one in here, so don't even try to hide it. We, we understand because we look around us Because the lie is just here and the battle is raging. And and we look at our rank and we want to see what society says about us. Our culture is determining it. And we're just giving in to the lie because we want to rank higher than the person sitting next to us. And so we work really hard. Our family determines our rank. And I think that's a scary thing because there's not one of you in here who determined whose birth canal you were coming out, right? Not one of you. Any of these remind you of your family? You might be a redneck if, right? And how about this first one right here? Take a look at this. You, um, you, you might be a redneck if you own a home that's mobile and five cars that aren't. And here's what I want us to do. If this is your family, I want you to raise your hand because we're just reeling here, okay? Thanks for being honest. Good, man. Hands going up all over. How about this next one here? You might be a redneck if your boat has not left the driveway in 15 years. No hands. Next one says you may be a redneck if you burn your yard rather than mow it. The next one says this, you may be a redneck if your wife has ever said, come move this transmission so I can take a bath. (laughs) That mug ain't working on no transmission, I can promise you that. His boat's left the yard in 15 years. I love this last one right here. Well, this isn't the last one, but there's some of you in here. I want to see, you've hit a deer on purpose, but this is my favorite. You get a divorce but hope you can remain cousins. Any, nobody? We'd have to bust out in a prayer meeting if somebody raised their hand on that one. <laughs> but guys, you're ranked. By all of those things, you're ranked, and that's what the lie tells you. So work hard. Do whatever you have to do because you're being ranked. 
And you've got to get as high on that ladder as you can. So much so, here's the culture back in about 100 years before Jesus was born. There was a man by the name of Cicero, and he was a Roman philosopher, and he was also a politician. And this was the day and age that he lived in, but this was what society lived by. And he said this. He said, rank must be preserved. Sounds a lot like today. And that was 100 years before Jesus was even born. And then you come on the scene with a guy by the name of John Ortberg, who is a phenomenal leader and author in this movement of God today. And in the year 2015, he still talks about our society in this way, that the world's lie has told us this. And I quote John Ortberg. He says that our identity is determined by ladder rung and the descent is tragedy. You see, what has happened because of this battle that's raging and this lie that we all have bought into and believed is that we have seen some individuals here who truly do understand what Jesus taught. That this submission thing is the way of the new life that Jesus presented to us. This thing called submission, though, in our society has become known as a weakness And that's why we, all day long, we overlook and we use and abuse the true servants of our day. They can exist, living a life of submission and servanthood, and you and I, we don't even recognize them. See, Jesus is into his last days. When we come here to Luke 22, Jesus is knowing what's getting ready to happen. And so he gathers his friends, his closest friends. Here in the church, we call them his disciples. And he gathers them together in this upper room, and he has a last meal with them. He breaks the bread, and they drink of the cup, and and he has all of this wonderful last instructions for them. He even goes as far as to tell them, hey, guys, listen. Here's what's getting ready to happen, just so you'll know, in the next couple of days, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to die. And then he goes and he says this, and he says, some of you, one of you, one of you, sorry, one of you is going to betray me. That's a pretty big deal, Right? Like, like if I was one of his closest friends, if I was one of those 12, I would probably, like, I, I know I would grab my wallet, right? I, I'm probably hiding my wife. I'm hiding my children. Because if you'll betray Jesus, there's nothing you won't do, right? And so what I'm thinking that these guys, these disciples need to do is they probably need to, like, they need to, like, take a few hours They need to go get this mess straightened up because one of them is going to, like, betray Jesus. Like, take a few hours. Listen, even if you need to take, like, the next day, go pray about it and figure out who this guy is because betraying Jesus, that's, like, unheard of. But that's not what they do. This is amazing to me that we've overlooked this for so long. But you see, the disciples 
who had just been told that Jesus was going to die and that one of them was going to like disown Jesus. You see, right then, the lie and the battle reared its ugly head again. Because not that they didn't leave and go try to figure this and solve this out. It says at the same time, right after Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, listen to what took place. I'm here in Luke 22, verse 24. Basically, this says, at the same time, a dispute arose among them. Like They're getting ready to figure this thing out, I'm thinking. But the dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the what? Like, I'm thinking, Luke, like you messed up, man. That should have said, which one of you is going to betray him? But they said, no, we're going to fight in this raging battle. And I got to, at this time, know which one is the greatest. They had a little Muhammad Ali moment. If you don't know who that is, go look it up. Google it right now if you can. And they wanted to know who's the greatest. Jesus says this. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Basically what Jesus is saying is like these people who call themselves benefactors, they are, they are important. They've been loyal to their country. They've been good people. They, they, they are somebody, but they want everyone to know that they are somebody. Like there's people in this room and you are somebody. And if you were who Jesus is talking about right here, you're the kind of person who walks into this place and you want everybody here to know that you just showed up. You see, there's people in your family and there's people you work with, there's people you do life with, that they are somebody. They're educated, they're very wealthy, they have a name. And if Jesus was talking to them right here, he's saying that when you walk into a place, you want to be recognized. That's what Jesus just said here in verse 25. And then you go over here to verse and finish it out. He says, they exercise an authority over them and they call themselves benefactors. Listen to verse 26. Listen, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this verse. Verse 26, Jesus says this, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules... Jesus, you messed this up. Luke, surely you heard Jesus wrong. Because I've worked hard to get to this position... A lot of money has been spent. A lot of time has been given. A lot of things have been done. And so now that I've arrived and I've climbed the ladder and I'm on the top rung in my life, surely, God, that you want me to be recognized as a leader. That's what our world says, isn't it? But Jesus says this. <laughs> the one who rules should be like the one who, what church? Serves. 
Verse 27, for who is greater? The one who is at the table, which is what the world tells us, or the one who serves? And Jesus is getting a little funny here. He has a sense of humor. He says, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And so what Jesus has done in this very moment, the Last Supper, right before he's getting ready to go to the cross and dies, not before, even right before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he bleeds drops of blood and he's sweating blood, he says basically, what you have known all your life is a lie. And he introduces it to us at this very moment. A new way of thinking. A new way of thinking that is going to produce a new way of living. And church, what I'm here today to challenge you with is not to force you into grasping this. But what I'm offering to us this morning is just for us to maybe open our minds to a new way of thinking. That it's not how high up the ladder you can ascend. But it is just the very opposite of how low on the ladder you can descend. And it's not so that people can just walk all over you. Listen, submission does not equal weakness. Submission equals obedience to God. And so I'm just challenging us to maybe think a little different. Because Jesus says this. He says that the, the first will be last. And the last will be what? First. Like Scott, that's a 180 degree difference from what I've been taught. You see, everything Jesus did symbolized something for you and I. There's great messages being taught all over this country right now over the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Listen, he could have ridden in on some white stallion with chariots, with an entourage, because he was the king of kings, but he chose to ride in on a lowly donkey, symbolizing that this is the new way of living. One of the greatest symbolisms that I see in Scripture is that there came a time when Jesus took off His outer garments. He, he took off this outer garment and he, he actually performed the acts of a slave. Because when He took His outer garment off, He then took a towel and He wrapped it around Him. That's what slaves in His day did. Listen, but not just any slave... It was not allowed. A Jewish slave, Jesus was a Jew, Jewish slaves could not do what Jesus was getting ready to do. They only had that position for the lowest of the low in the Gentile slaves. But Jesus being a Jew, took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around him and he lowered himself down and he did the acts of a slave. He washed his people's feet. Jesus was always getting lower. This was the king of the world. 
This was God himself, and he was constantly lowering himself. The adulterous woman is just another beautiful picture of submission. This adulterous woman was caught in the act. She was guilty. The law said that she should die. And I just need you to grasp this picture that Jesus, God, who could have lorded over this dirty, sinful woman. He could have lorded His authority over her. Like, the ladder isn't tall enough because Jesus was way here and she was at the very bottom. He could have just continually put Himself over her. But Jesus not only got down to her level, but He even got lower than she did. And then if you ever have the privilege to stand in Jerusalem, one that is burned into my mind is this, this upper room where Jesus was just having this last dinner with his friends, where he said, one of you is going to betray me, where the argument where they wanted to know who was the greatest broke out was in the upper room. And it was at the, like today, you can look and you can see that the upper room is at the highest place there in Jerusalem. It is at the highest point. And after that meal, and after this dispute was settled, Jesus and his friends, minus Judas, the betrayer, Jesus and his friends left the highest point of Jerusalem And they descended to the garden, which is the lowest place there. You see, we stood there in the garden of Gethsemane and we've looked up to see this symbolism. But it just reminds me that Jesus introduced a new way. You see, not only did it end at the garden of Gethsemane, but it went to the cross. And for so long, we've just thought that the cross was there and it symbolized that this Jesus died for us. Listen, Jesus just didn't go to the cross so that bad people could become good people. Now, there's something important about the cross that we've been maybe missing out on for a long time. Is that Jesus, the King God, went to the cross as the final statement that this is how you, those of you who choose to follow me, this is how we are to live our lives. And on the cross, yes, He died for every one of us. He bled for the forgiveness of our sins. But on the cross, He showed us that this battle of self and the flesh that's been raging, I've defeated it. And the lie that the world has been telling you, I've crushed the lie. The only way that you ascend is because my Father chooses to cause you to ascend. And so if the King of everything, if Jesus can submit, and if He can serve And if he can empty himself of everything, 
The reason he did it was to model it for you and I. You see, I believe that he's given us what we need to be people of submission. I believe that he's given us what we need to be people who serve. You see, he's given us what we need to empty ourselves of just that. It's not what you've been told. In fact, it's just the opposite. I just ask, would you just close your eyes and just ponder that for just a second? And just start to think, maybe in a new way. That you've been believing the lie and you've fallen victim to the battle. And if you haven't, like you've got this and and your life is a life of submission and you serve and you are constantly emptying yourself of you so that the Holy Spirit can have more room to shine through. If that's you this morning, praise God for you. I thank God for your example. You please continue to let your light shine in this community. But I believe that there may be some of us here today and we follow Jesus But we've allowed this battle to take a toll on us. And we've found that it's a lot easier just to believe the lie. And it's a lot easier to focus on myself and gratify myself. And so there's some of us here today that may follow Jesus. And we've just allowed ourselves to take back control. And today you know that the Holy Spirit is calling you to empty yourself. Like to just surrender the control that you've taken back. A Christ follower, if that's you today, would you just raise a hand and say, Scott, that's me. I just need you to pray for me. I need to know that God's not mad at me, that God's left me. I just need to know that God is still for me. Thanks for being honest. Thank you. But then I believe there may be some of us here today and we've never even taken that first step. And we've never said, you know what, God? I need your son Jesus as my Savior. I need to be forgiven. I need to be set free. I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I've never done that. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've never asked Him to be my Savior. But today you know that that God is speaking to you and that He loves you and that He accepts you. And today you want to confess that Jesus is Lord So today, if you say, Scott, I need Jesus as my Savior, could you just lift a hand and say, Scott, that's me today?
Hey, God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his death. I thank you for his example. I thank you for the fact, God, that even though many of us in this room today have confessed that we've taken back control, God, we're laying it down today. And we're asking, God, that you freely move through us. God, that you control every thought, that you control every action. And God, that you continually renew our mind so that we will focus on the truth instead of the lie. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I believe the beginning of a transformed community starts with your obedient followers who are willing to get as low as your son Jesus did. God, will you give us the strength that we need to do just that? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.